Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. today. <laughs> um, sorry, Arthur. <laughs> he really loves grandma. Um, <laughs> um, I want to thank the Burks, even though pastor's not here today. I know that um, still under his authority and submitted to him today. And to Sister Burke, I just want to thank them for um, asking me to speak today, giving me the opportunity. <coughs> I don't ever take it lightly um, and always try to seek what God wants for this specific group of people on this specific day. Um, because he knows better than I do, <laughs> better than any of us does. Um, and because we have, you know, our Spotify that people can listen to our messages on and on and on. Um, and so he knows uh, every ear that will um, that these words will fall on. And, um, and so I have just um, I prayed and asked the Lord to help me to speak um, whatever it is that whoever hears these words needs to hear today. Um, <clears throat> so before I get into it, um, I just want to pray, open in prayer this morning. Lord, I thank you so much for your word and for your faithfulness to us, and for your presence, God, um, that we are coming into your sanctuary today, but you have already been here waiting on us, God. Your presence is here, uh, ready and willing to pour out upon your people today, God. Uh, we are so grateful to you, Lord, for um, the privilege that it is to feel your presence, to know you, to walk with you, God, to have your word, your very word, with us, God, that we can understand you, your precepts, God, that we can stand upon it as a foundation when everything else is unsure. And today, God, that is our goal. That is our premise here today. We come so that we can hear your word and not be hearers only, but doers of your word, God. So I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be ready, the soil of our hearts would be tilled and prepared for the seed of your word to be planted. God, that we could produce the fruit of your spirit in our lives. We want to grow in you. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and be conformed into your image today, God. I plead your blood over every heart, every mind, God, including my own, Lord, that I would convey your word today in truth um, and in clarity, Jesus. We ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. I, um, real quick, also want to give honor to my mom. I told Jen and Franny yesterday that if my mom hadn't been here this weekend, I would have called in dead today. So um, <laughs> it has been a tremendous help while my husband is missing in action. <laughs> and in my head, that's how it feels. <laughs> Where is he? Um, 
So thank you, Mom, for coming so that I could just live, stay alive. Um, and I feel that my purpose today um, is very simple, just to remind us that God is consistently, constantly, lovingly, ungrudgingly, and unwaveringly merciful toward those who fear him. So I will try my very best to convey just that. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 I will give you my title real quick, even though no one's up there because Sister Tanya is teaching Sunday school to my children. Thank you, Sister Tanya. Um, it is mercy from heaven's perspective. Mercy from heaven's perspective. <clears throat> Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Joel 2, 12 through 13 says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And I love this part. He says, rend your hearts and not your garments. Let it be inward. I don't want just the outward if it's not also inward. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 2 Samuel 24 and 14, Then David said to Gad, <clears throat> I am in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But let us not fall into the hand of men. Micah 7, 18 through 19, Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Hebrews 2, 17 through 18 Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He's talking about Jesus. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Psalm 23, 6, we know this one well. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Deuteronomy 4, 31, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you. 
or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. And Lamentations 3, 21 through 23. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This, of course, is not an exhaustive list by any means of the scriptures that talk about the mercy of God. Just a few examples. But I've had to lean on scriptures such as these a lot because I have sinned a lot. And I need the mercy of God to cover me. And it always has. There have been many times, however, where I have felt stuck. Like... I know God has covered this sin, but this one over here feels like too much. It's still so connected to me, maybe through relationships or through the places that I have to go. It keeps rearing its ugly head. I feel so much guilt from it, or I'm still being pulled into it by temptation. I keep failing. And in these times, the questions that I tend to ask myself is, if God is enough... If he's truly good, then why is that not enough for me to keep from continuing in sin, from falling into sin? It's the hard tension between recognizing that I am wrong and knowing that it is actually healthy and right to feel conviction for my sin, but yet holding on to it to the point that I don't believe that the blood of Jesus is enough to cover it. Because I would never actually say that, those words. I would never say that. But if I continue to behave as though I am not forgiven, as though I have not been washed clean by the blood, then I truly don't believe that God has done so. Or at least that there is some contingency or condition to his forgiveness. The world we live in primes us to respond this way to our own sinfulness. And personal relationships are a huge part of that, but it's not even limited to just that. So as an example, a few weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago, my checking account was accidentally overdrawn because of a few um, unforeseen automatic payments that came out. (laughs) And to be fair, if I had my ducks in a row and if I took better care of all the things that I should be responsible for, This is kind of embarrassing to admit to everybody because, like, I'm an adult. I am 30 years old. I have three children. Like, why did my account get overdrawn? Um, But it just happens. We overlook things. Um, And so (coughs) the $35 overdraw fee was not just frustrating to me financially, but it made me feel angry at myself for not being better at managing the things that I'm just expected to manage. Like, I'm just supposed to do these things, right? Um, (laughs) one thing my dad has repeated to me throughout my life is always ask because the worst thing that they can tell you is no. And so I have definitely utilized that a lot with my dad because I'm just trying to live by his advice. So (laughs) within reason, okay. Um, but I took those words and I thought, okay, I will just call the bank and I will see if maybe they will 
forgive me. <laughs> so I did. And the guy at the bank said, yeah, so I see that you've never overdrawn before. I'm going to go ahead and, <clears throat> as a one-time courtesy, I'm just going to waive the overdraft fee. Which made me feel like, whew, okay, that's, thank you. I want those $35 back, please. But it didn't make me feel better. <laughs> the only reason that he waived the fee was because I'd never made that mistake before. And one-time courtesy implies that if I do it again, there will be no more mercy to receive. It was a relief, sort of. I got back what I had lost, but I still felt the burden of responsibility. It made me aware of my tendency to forget, to not take things into account, to fail, to just be a human and overdraw my account. <clears throat> so we tend to put things upon God, the characteristics of things that he created, systems that fail, people that fall short. God created the humans that we interact with every day, the humans who established and tend to the institutions um, and the systems that we operate in on a day-to-day -day basis, governments, schools, businesses, all run by humans and all humans who are sinful. So because this is what we know and because this is what we live in, it's our only point of view. People. People are our only point of view. For relationship. It's what makes sense to us. So instead of understanding God as being the creator of all things and therefore outside of those things, we unintentionally categorize him within our own frame of reference. It's what we do because it's what we know to do. So we take the way that we are treated by the banker or our family members or that brother or sister in Christ who hurt us. And subconsciously, maybe we think that's how God looks at us too. Any analogy that we have for God and his characteristics is always going to fall short at some point or another because he's God and he is not like his creation. So I don't expect this analogy to be any different. Obviously, the bank is not responsible for my shortcomings or my soul. And if they continually let people overdraw their accounts without being held responsible, they would go out of business. So I merely lay this example before you to show you how God is not. He is not an institution. He is not a business or a financial officer checking your history on his clipboard and making decisions about your future based off of what he can find from your past. Instead, where I am the debtor, Jesus is the one dissolving my account into his own. Not oppressively asking how I came to owe so much or why I did it, but simply taking on all that I owe, clearing my name and covering the cost. Where the law once had my name on the account, it no longer does. The name of Jesus is on the line reading account holder. And now where there was once an outstanding balance, there is a wealth of resources from which to draw. The wisdom of the ages, acceptance and encouragement, love, peace, joy, and mercy, to name just a few.
by his mercy, I no longer have to pay what I owed. I no longer have to suffer the consequences that I deserved. And by his grace, I have all that I know I never deserved and could never earn. Not in a million lifetimes could I have worked enough to pay the debt that I accrued in just this one. It's a beautiful thing to look back on where we came from, on who we were before Christ, and walk forward in confidence knowing that our names have been cleared and our slate is clean. We are righteous because we have put on his righteousness. But what about when we fail now? After the blood? After the work of Christ has been applied to our life? In Romans 5, 8, Paul says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In chapter 7 and verse 1 of the same letter, he says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? Then in Romans 8, 1 through 4, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right now, if I fail right now, but I am in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according to not, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The law and our, fel- and our failures held up to the standard of that law are only effective on someone who is alive. However, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The law no longer has the power of condemnation over me, Because I have been crucified and buried with Christ and have risen in newness of life, a new creature, according to his resurrection. As one of my favorite songs says, So now I don't owe a thing to death, should ever he appear. For death can only borrow breath, no longer can he steal. I will fall into temptations in this life even as one who has been redeemed, but I am no longer held within the grasp of death. It will borrow my breath, but in the end, I still belong to the one who paid the price for my life and for my eternity. And he did so while I was still his enemy. He loved me even then, and he loves me just the same now. God, being outside of time and space as the creator of time and space sees my every moment in one heavenly glance and he says I choose her when I am close to him and upright his answer is such and when I fall and I wander off it's still the same I choose her I love her Because the eyes of heaven see much differently than does an earthly vision. 
again, in our misguided understanding of God's character because we, we reference our earthly relationships when we think about God. We remember the things that have been done to us. We remember the way that people in our relation to them have made us feel, and we apply it to him. Sometimes we behave as though he has changed his mind because we know people change their mind. We change our minds. If I've made this mistake this many times, surely by now he's tired of being merciful toward me. But unlike people, he doesn't change. Sometimes people change for the better, but they change for the worse too. And when they change their mind, it's based on circumstances or a shift in how they feel. But he doesn't change his mind, and his word tells us so. <coughs> Malachi 3.6 says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. He was telling them, because I don't change and my promises remain, I have not consumed you for your sins against me. I remain merciful. Hebrews 13, 8, and this one has been bannered across the back of the tabernacle at Illinois District Campgrounds since before I was born. So I will never forget it. And I can literally see the boxy blue font, like as I stand here before you. <laughs> Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? <coughs> Psalm 102, 25 through 27. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. Lastly, and again, this is not either an exhaustive list of scriptures about how God doesn't change, but just a few examples. Lastly, James 1 and 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. <coughs> the Greek word in the original text for variation here is paralage. And it is actually the only time that it is used in all of scripture. It denotes in general a change, a transmission from one condition to another. And the reference may be to the sun, which varies its position in the sky. There is something called a stellar parallax, which is the same linguistic root as the Greek word parallage. And it is in reference to the way that certain stars 
seem to move faster than others, when they are really simply closer to us. And so our distance from them is what impacts our perspective of them. But here, James is saying (coughs) that everything good comes from the Father of lights. The one who is outside of space and time, who dictates the stars, but who is unlike them in their varying positions. See, God's character is not defined by his creation, even though it is reflected in certain aspects of it. The moon and the stars display the glory of God, but they are not how we understand God. God does not operate as his creation does. If we ever think that God seems to be different or that he has changed, it's not because of him. It's because of us. It's because of our perspective, if you will, the stellar parallax of our perspective. We know ourselves, we know other people, and it is so easy, it's even natural for us to apply what we know to that which we do not fully understand. But he is not like us. We, his creation, reflect aspects of him. We were created in his image, but he is not defined by what he has created. He is faithful when we are not. He is merciful when we are not. And he forgives when we don't. Matthew 18, 21 through 22 says, Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. The funny thing is that Jesus actually failed to take his own advice here because I've sinned against him more than 70 times seven, and he has forgiven me that and many, many more times. So it's not that he has failed, but he has gone beyond his own advice. Before he tells this to Peter, he has actually just finished telling the parable of the lost sheep. I need to get to it. Sorry, I didn't write that one down. (laughs) In Matthew, same chapter, 18, but verses 12 and 13. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. A lot of times we apply this scripture to those who have completely walked away from God, what we, what we call prodigals. And that's not incorrect, but I also see myself in this small wandering sheep. I lose my way sometimes, and God feels no resentment towards me for the fact that he has to leave the rest of the fold to find me and wash me in his mercy. In fact, 
he rejoices more over finding and restoring me than he does over the rest who never went missing. That is by no means reason for us to purposely lose our way, but rather a comfort for when the weight of guilt we feel because we've gone astray causes us to feel unworthy to be welcomed back by the shepherd. I'm so proud of my kids when, without having to be told, they do things that I have tried to pass down to them. Um, Saying thank you, helping clean up, um, sharing, eating their veggies. That's fiction. They don't ever eat veggies without being told. Um, But what has also made me proud of my kids is when they do something wrong and then they come to me. When they trust me with their hearts in the midst of their wrongdoing and they tell me, that they're sorry. They have no idea what that does to this mom's heart. And in their contrition, I see my own childlike face before the Lord of all creation, the Father of lights, from whom comes every good and every perfect gift. His love for me unchanging, his plan laid before the foundations of the world unmoved, lifting my face in his merciful gaze. He gives his gifts to us ungrudgingly, without hesitation, purely out of his love for us. And this is the posture of the shepherd toward us. Merciful because he knows our fragility and our inability to always know the right way. But as we go, And as we learn from these moments and failures and become more like him, he rejoices for our recovery and our reconciliation to him as we are being conformed into his image. We know that mercy is only one aspect of God. He's also just, mighty, righteous, holy, and the list goes on. He is the I am which means that he is whatever we will need exactly when we need it. When we are in need of mercy, he is the answer. So while God is many things that seem great and powerful and even sometimes terrifying, the picture the Bible paints of God in his mercy is that of a father and of a shepherd. Fathers fathers and shepherds lead with love and concern for the ones they are tending to. If a lamb has a broken leg, the shepherd does not leave her for the wolves, but he tends to the break and keeps her with him until she is healed and has regained her strength. For in his mercy, he understands our weakness. Daniel 9 records one of the many prayers of Daniel because we know he prayed a lot. And it goes like this. It's very long. O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled. Turning aside from your commandments and rules, We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, 
but to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness. For we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Daniel was desperate because he knew the great depths of the sin and the treachery of Israel against God. God does not require confession and contrition as a formality as an ego boost for him because he wants to feel like you need him. He requires it because he does not want us to be merely pardoned. He wants our hearts to be changed. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Just as my children come to me and confess, it not only moves my heart knowing that my children are heeding my instruction, but they're being transformed inwardly. And if that's not happening for us, then what is the point of all of this? As Paul says in Romans 2 and 4, his kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. 
And repentance is one of the ways that God transforms us by renewing our minds and conforming us into his image. His mercy is intended to draw us closer to him. His mercies are new every morning. This says to me that God is no more troubled by the continual renewing of his mercies toward us than he is by keeping the earth in rotation, by keeping the sun rising and setting upon the earth. For us, that's impossible. We can't make that happen. But for God, that's just who he is. It's a part of his nature. Scripture is calling on us to bear out our shame before the Lord. To lay our guilt at his feet and in their stead be covered by his mercy. Scripture says that the righteous falls seven times but gets up. We're going to fall. And it may be the same thing over and over again. And I'm not saying we don't need to make progress, because we do. If we're being transformed and conformed into his image, we will change. But it's a device of the enemy to convince us that if we're struggling with the same thing, it's a waste. You're just stuck, and you're going to stay there forever to discourage us, to push us down, to keep us away from the one who is saying, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's a shepherd, the father of lights. And there's nothing that I've done, and there's no amount of times enough that I've done it to keep him from forgiving me and for washing him, for washing me in his mercy. Lord, I thank you so much today for your word. I pray today, God, that your church is encouraged by your word today. Because this is a foundation that we can stand upon. Everything in this world is shifting sand. It moves, it changes, it's circumstantial, but you're not, God. Your, faith from, your faithfulness is from everlasting to everlasting, from generation to generation. So no matter where we find ourselves, God, on this spectrum, on this continuum, your mercies are just the same for us as they were then and as they will be tomorrow, God. You are unwavering and faithful. And today, God, we, your people, we come to you with our sin and with our shame and with our guilt. But we're not going to feel guilty for it anymore because there is no condemnation 
to those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes me white as snow. I don't deserve it. I could have never done anything to deserve it or to earn it. But you place upon me your righteousness, not by anything that I've done, but because of your mercy, God. Lord, help us to see yourselves from heaven's perspective today. That your mercy is before us wherever we go, whatever we do, that your mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. Because you don't change. And we trust you today, God. We trust you because we can, because you will never leave us or forsake us. Never turn us away, God. We thank you today, Jesus. Let us go forward from this place today, God, with our heads lifted to the hills from whence comes our help. We lift our eyes to you, God. And we trust you and we thank you today, God. In Jesus' name.